0: has a great message uh, I don't remember who it was uh, Nancy, I can never say her last name Wigamuth or something I got that wrong I'm sure but I heard her say I thought it was so powerful she said um, today before I tell anybody else about the gospel I need to tell myself you know we need to wake up each morning and we need to hear the gospel Jesus loves you. He died for you. He knows exactly where you are. He hasn't moved. We're starting a new series uh, today on seeing truth. We live in a time where truth seems to be hard to identify for many. But God describes himself as the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. And so we're going to be in Second Timothy this morning, chapter four, verses one through eight. So I'm going to ask if you'll stand in our God's great honor as I read aloud. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's pray. God, help me believe, um, even in my unbelief. um, God, it's so easy to portray somebody. But is that who I am? We all just come to you as as we deal with the issue of seeing you as you are and ourselves as we are and longing to be who you have made us, the truth. So I just pray this morning that you continue to move um, in this place among us, Lord. I don't want to get in the way, so I ask, oh, Spirit, that you would speak in spite of me, Lord. We need to hear from you. So, Lord, uh, we make ourselves open to you. Speak, O oh God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, in the 1980s, man, it's hard to believe that was so long ago when I start looking at numbers. Uh, I was a fan of the New York Giants and it's much easier for me to say this since Tim is not here. He's in the prayer room this morning. Uh, mainly because they had this star player that played at UNC. Yeah. His name was Lawrence Taylor. And I actually knew a guy who played football at Chapel Hill, but he only played JV. and never even got to the varsity. But he told me that one time he had to line up against Lawrence Taylor. And he said, Todd, the guy has these pointed eyebrows. And he looked like the devil. And when he started playing football, he might have been. Man, he was, he was, he was so aggressive <laughs> as a football player. So anyway, in the 80s, he, the Giants were pretty good. And they, they had this guy, Lawrence Taylor. But he's not the one I, I want to mention. I was kind of in the Giants, so I'd follow you know, their team. They had this guy that was a running back. And um, his name was Joe Morris. And they kept talking about all this hype. He was going to be a a really good running back. Well, he did terrible. And it was like the coaches and the staff and the medical team, they're trying to figure out, what's the deal with Joe? Man, he was supposed to be our running back, you know, and he's just not getting the job done, you know. Well, it it turns out um, after many talks and after many tests, they decided to do an eye exam. And Joe Morris had bad vision. You know, it's hard to run when you can't see the holes that the offensive line makes for you to run through so you can get some yards. So you guess it, man. They gave him some corrective lenses, and he became one of the best running backs in the NFL for a while in the 80s. It made such a difference for him to be able to see. I have kind of a story. For me, I went to get my driver's license when I turned right around 40, so you know what happened. I, I went to take the eye test and failed it for my driver's license. I'm like, what? So I went, I'll never forget it, I went to the eye doctor. You know, they wrote me, you know, the prescription and got the glasses. And I put the glasses on and it was like, everything's so clear. I had no idea I was living a blurred life. I didn't know everything was blurry. It just, it, man, it kind of... <laughs> It kind of changed everything for me. Um, and it's interesting because the scriptures tell us that before Jesus Christ, we're blind. We can't see. And it turned me to John chapter 9 here um, briefly. Uh, John chapter 9 begins, it tells us about a guy who was born blind. He couldn't see. The disciples were talking about him because he begged on the side of the road. There's that blind beggar again, Lord. Why is he blind? Is it because he sinned or is it because his parents sinned? Why is he blind? And Jesus said, neither. It's not because of any of that. God wants to display his glory through this today. Jesus said, As I am the light of the world. And so the most amazing thing happens. There's this encounter between Jesus and this blind beggar. And Jesus comes and he, he makes these mud balls with the spit. It is kind of gross, but he makes these little mud balls. He puts them on the guy's eyes. And he says, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes. And he does that and he can see. And now all of a sudden, he is the brunt of gossip in the town. Can you imagine? Everybody down saying... Is that the guy that was the blind beggar? Can't be. So they go up to the guy. Um, Do I know you? Yeah, I'm the guy that used to be the blind beggar. But everything has changed. Now I can see what has happened. Well, this guy comes up to me and he tells the story. His testimony. The story of what happened. And everybody's like... So you know what they, they go to the religious leaders. Man, we've got to get the, the people that, that know religion, that know God. This is crazy. This stuff doesn't happen. So the Pharisees come, and they meet with a guy, and they say, Tell us what happened. So you know what he did? He told his testimony. He told them again what had happened. And they said, No, that's impossible. This guy, he's just a sinner. He's a, and, and only God can do these kind of things. And the guy says, Um... Well, uh, what do you mean? Well, he couldn't have done this on the Sabbath. That would be breaking God's rules. And, and you can't follow God and break His rules. That's not a, a possibility. And, and I love it. This is from the text. At verse 14, they mention the Sabbath. And then the Pharisees say, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And the man responded, I don't know if this man's a sinner or not. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. Drop down to verse 30. It says, the man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. No sinner can do this. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the text tells us that the religious guys kicked him out of church, booted him out, go. We don't want to hear from you. Man, you know, I thought about this and I thought, man, may we never boot somebody out of church because they don't keep the Kingsway rules. And I'm not even sure what the rules are, but I know we have them because I know how we all are. Make up these little rules. This is how I can be closer to God than you. And if we keep these rules, then surely we who live here in Kingsway Baptist Church are closer than the other churches and the other people are. Yeah, we do that junk. But may we not do that. Because we are able to see because Jesus opens our eyes. That, that's the whole truth. That's the story. Matter of fact, listen, this is interesting too. Second Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers... So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of God. The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, we also have an enemy, and he spends all of his time seeking to keep you from seeing Jesus Christ. From seeing the glory of God. From being able to see, period, what matters. He wants you to stay blind. And you don't see by simply following a bunch of rules. I mean, you don't see by even joining a church. Or even just merely by being baptized in front of everybody. You see through an encounter with Jesus Christ. It tells us in Galatians 6.15, What counts is a new creation. John 3.3, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of god we see only when jesus christ opens our eyes now that is the start of the christian life but man we can also get blurred vision once our walk with jesus begins and if we're not careful we need some corrective lenses that come from the word of god and As the Spirit of God makes the Word of God come alive so that we can understand. And God does all that to help us when our vision becomes blurry spiritually. And uh, this is from 2 Peter. I want to start at uh, verse 5. He tells us we have these great promises that He's given us life and what we need to follow Him. And then starting at verse 5, He says... For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. He says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so do you want your walk for Jesus to matter I mean I don't know anybody here that would say well I just want to be a humdrum Christian I don't want to have any victories in Jesus Christ I don't want to know about any answer prayers I don't want to know specifically what God wants to do in me and through me no we all want to know that and he says these qualities help us to get clear vision to be able to focus i guess i should take my glasses off to get clear vision <laughs> spiritually he does this work matter of fact here's how he ends in in verse nine he says if anyone does not have them he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins so what does that tell me uh, The way to keep clear vision is not to forget you've been forgiven. You need to go back. Every once in a while, really every day, like I said, we need to start with the gospel. Remembering what you were forgiven of. Remembering how you were blind before Christ opened your eyes. Remembering how it is important to be able to see clearly because there's an enemy who is constantly trying to blind our our sight so that we cannot see now with all that in mind I want to give you just a little background on our text here in 2nd Timothy Uh, it's near the end of Paul's life he is training a a protege Timothy and he's writing to him he he wants Timothy to to be a, a, a powerful man of God to be used of God to have that clear vision in the Lord And what he is seeing around him, this is 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is seeing people who are leaving the faith. Or maybe they're even still claiming to be followers of Christ, but they are not sticking to the biblical truth that has has been recorded and lived by believers. They They are straying away and they're coming up with ideas that are not in agreement With the scriptures. And he's broken over this. And and so as he writes in 2 Timothy. He's saying to Timothy. Stay close. Stay close to God. Don't move from the truth. Because there are many around us. Who are bringing another gospel. Who are distorting the gospel. And even if you go back to the Garden of Eden. uh, Remember what was said there. Did God really say that? There were questions about what God really said. So let's look at these three truths real quick as we talk about this idea of seeing clearly. First, be concerned about knowing the truth. He starts out in these first two verses. He, he reminds uh, those he's writing to in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. He said, hey guys, we're not just talking about me, the Apostle Paul here. And we're not really only talking about you. There's some of you guys that are really cool. And, and you know Jesus and love Him. And I'm thankful for you. But there's somebody else here with us. And that's God. And Jesus Christ. And I want you guys to remember that He's always with us. And that He will judge the living and the dead. And, and He says, and His kingdom, His appearing... It's about Christ, and then what's he say? Verse 2, he says, preach the word. Now, it's interesting here, uh, as you go down through uh, several things he says here through these verses, preach the word, and and it makes me think of, uh, in Daniel chapter 10, you get near the end of the chapter of Daniel chapter 10, and Daniel has this vision, and there's this angel of God who is, revealing things to Daniel and of course Daniel scared to death anybody would be and you get right at the end of the chapter and he says in that situation that this is the book of truth he said verse 21 first i will tell you what is written in the book of truth Jesus said in John 17:17 17, 17, he's praying He's praying to the Father. He's praying for those who believe and those who will believe um, in Christ, Christians. Sanctify them by your truth, he says. Set them aside with truth. Your word is truth. So God is very clear. Jesus is very clear that the scriptures, the Bible, are truth. There's a question. Remember, remember, uh, Pilate, when Jesus stood before him, and, and he was asking Jesus, Who are you? Are you this king they're talking about? And then Pilate responded, What is truth? And guys, we live in a culture today where that is becoming more and more predominant, where, where people are saying, Well, what is truth? And people are, are have competing claims of what truth is that is occurring all around us. You come back to the end of chapter 3, Paul is telling Timothy, this verse 14, he says, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And in that verse, verse 16, we all know scripture, all scriptures, God breathed, and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As you go through 1 and 2 Timothy 11 times, he talks about truth. This was very important to Paul. He, He was upset as he looked around him and he saw people who seemed to be moving away from the truth 49 times in all of his letters he mentions truth and our identity is to be in truth i've I've talked to people who have said to me people who are christians and and they've said i don't want to discuss doctrine which is just the teaching of jesus christ and of the church of jesus christ The deep teaching of Christ. I say, I don't want to talk about that stuff because doctrine can be so divisive, so divisive. Um, And so I I want to make sure that we all all just are sweet and love one another and, and come together. The problem is, whether we want to admit it or not, we are locked in a war. And we need to know the truth, the one who is the truth, and the truth that he has passed on to us. We can't just say, well, doctrine is technical and I don't want to talk about it. No, because we need to know him if we are going to survive and thrive here. And if we're going to go and be with him for all of eternity. We live in an age where instead of knowing the truth, we want to make sure we do not hurt each other's feelings. But the truth of the matter is, I think it was Ben Shapiro who had said, facts don't care about hurting your feelings. They're facts. I'm not talking that we should intentionally hurt one another's feelings, but we need to understand that sometimes our feelings are just simply wrong. And we need to make sure that we know the truth. In Acts 2.42, it talks about the church continued in the apostles' doctrine in first. Timothy 4.13, Paul said, Until I come devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Uh, Titus said, Teach what's in accord with the sound doctrine. Montgomery, James, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, um, who, he said this, We do not have a strong church today, nor do we have strong Christians. We can trace the cause to an acute lack of sound spiritual knowledge. Ask an average Christian to talk about God after getting past expected answers. You will find that his God is a little God of vacillating sentiments. It's not an excuse to be ignorant, guys. We have to seek him. Secondly, be cautious about ignoring the truth. Verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We live in an age, quite frankly, where I don't think anybody trusts the news. You turn to this channel, it says this. You turn to this channel, it says this. And it's obvious that this side has an agenda and this side has an agenda and people are just trying to make sense out of all of it and it's become so sensationalized that people are saying, well, what is true? Where do I turn to truth? Uh, Another reason it's become so subjective. You've got people that say, well, that's your truth, but it's not my truth. But is that really how truth operates? Someone who says, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure? You get it? It's an absolute statement. How can, we, how can we really say there's no such thing as absolute truth? There are things that m- mark us. And to think that we have one creator who has made us, that regardless of the color of our skin or our, where we are economically or culturally and all of that stuff, we're still all made in the image of God. We are image bearers. And so there's objective truth that pertains to all of us, guys. I read, this is discouraging to me as this number keeps going down. Today, only 24% in America believe the Bible is the Word of God. And that's the lowest that it's been. It it continues to go down. Pew Research said that 25% of American Christians believe God's a higher power. This, they say one-fourth, that is, believe God's a higher power, but not necessarily an all-loving, omniscient, omnipotent God, as the Scripture reveals, or a personal God, like the Bible says. He's just sort of this higher power that exists, and yet these people call themselves Christians. Forty-five percent of evangelicals will say many religions can lead to eternal life. So Christianity is not exclusive. Jesus isn't the only way of truth or life. There are many roads to God. Forty-five percent. Think about it. That's almost half. We're talking evangelicals, those who make a big deal out of saying the Bible is the Word of God. According to the Barner Research Group, only half of our country's Protestant pastors... have a biblical world view. Man, what is happening? I do not grasp the idea of, of a preacher getting in a pulpit and not using the Bible as his source to preach from. And not having a firm conviction in the resurrection of Jesus Christ or in the virgin birth or in the fact that Jesus was sinless, or that He died on the cross for my sin. And yet it is telling us that almost half of the pastors today who are in the pulpit don't believe that. No wonder the church is in trouble. As someone has said, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. As someone has said, there's no grandchildren in heaven. It's up to us. Are we living in the truth? Is Jesus the truth? Are we willing to share the truth? Brian McLaren, a popular leader of the um, progressive church. Here's what he said. I don't know if anyone has ever gotten the gospel right. What? You're telling me the apostle Paul didn't get the gospel right? Or Peter? Peter? Or any of the other apostles? That what we have hung on to is just one opinion of many? That is not good enough for me. Either Jesus rose from the dead and has provided me with eternal life and strength for today and grace to face whatever is before me, or I have no hope. That is what it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. We're the most to be pitied if Christ is not risen. Man, here's another quote. Tony Jones, another leader of the progressive church, he says, I think the Bible's a scary book. I think that deconstruction is the only hermeneutical avenue that comes close to expressing the transgressive nature of the sacred text. Let me put that in English. Sometimes preachers try to get a little too wordy here using big words to make it look like they know more than they really do. What he's really saying is, what the Bible says, you can't fully believe. So you need to come up with some better ideas. Guys, that is some scary stuff. I'm not talking about battles outside the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about battles that are occurring inside many churches. And like I said, when Paul wrote these words, it had only been about 30 years since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's this kind of stuff that was creeping into the churches. There was this descent and there was these ideas that were in opposition to the strong teaching of Jesus Christ. And like it says in our text, they were like these people with itching ears. And they put false teachers around them in order to understand uh, these things. Itching ears. Ears. It reminded me in Acts 17. Remember when Paul was speaking? Uh, they had this statue of the unknown god, and it was man. It's a great move. He turned in here, said, "Let me tell you about the unknown god," and he was able to preach, you know, about Christ and about God. One of the verses in there it says, "For the Athenians and the foreigners spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing." There are people in church the other day let me tell you there's some new thing you just haven't heard it yet some deeper understanding some something you you, you haven't um, been connected to yet and, and you just got to get rid of that that Bible and, and, and that faith that, that good old gospel and, and let me tell you something, there is no other gospel there's the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from that guys there is no such thing as eternal life. It reminds me of when uh, the, Moses was up there worshiping God on the mountain, the glory of God, and the people were down there saying, man, we, we need us a gold calf, you know. Started working on that thing, and you know, they, they threw it in there, they put through their gold in there, and out popped this golden calf. Yeah, right. Remember that story. But they were looking for some new thing. Something else to work. It doesn't take people long to stray, and so we desperately need God. We desperately need the truth of God because all of us are susceptible to moving away from Him. There's an old story about a farmer. He kept complaining about the price of oats, so he started putting some sawdust in the oats so they wouldn't be so expensive. This was working really well for the farmer, so he started adding more and more sawdust to the oats. Until the one day, the mule began to enjoy the taste of the salt dust so much, he died. That happens when we are not intentionally close to God. Through the reading of His Word, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, by being with the people of God, by doing things together, by serving God, by understanding we're forgiven of God, That is intentional and it's important. Lastly, be careful about nurturing the truth. Notice what he says here in verse 5. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul's heart is, is broken over what he's seeing around him. And he's saying, Timothy, man, I, I believe in you. Teach the word. As he said in, in verse 2, preach the word. Man, don't hold back. Invest your life, invest your heart in getting to know Christ and, and getting to know his word and in. And sharing that with with people and and being connected together for the cause of Christ. Let that be your life. Nothing else ultimately matters, Timothy. That's his heart. Nurture that truth is what he's saying. And then Paul says, um, hey, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Timothy, my time is almost up. And I'm looking to you. He says, the time of my departure, it's at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That, that, that's what I am anticipating, what I'm expecting. And it's not only for me, but to all those who've loved his appearing. Preach the word. Be ready in and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, careful instruction. Do this, uh, Timothy. Don't preach your opinions. I mean, I have some very strong opinions, and you've heard more of them than you want to hear outside of the pulpit, hopefully. it's not been too much in here. (laughs) But that's not what we need to hear. We need to hear what God has to say. We don't need politics. Man, I was so heartbroken um, talking to a couple, and and they were telling me they were so discouraged because... um, in their church, all they heard was politics from the preacher. Man, I have politics. Y'all know; those all know me. That's not the point. Our hope is not in a politician; it's in Christ, not not a, not a politician. And so, we need sound doctrine. Don't preach your culture. I remember one time I knocked on doors years ago. We were going door to door in these apartments talking to people. And I said, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, I'm an American. <laughs> Dude, that's not what I asked, you know. Um, so it's not just cultural, right? The word sound, we say sound doctrine. is the word we get ch- in which we get our word hygienic. And so it's the idea of staying healthy. And so the picture here is of spiritual health, being healthy in the Lord Jesus Christ, washing your heart, washing your mind through the word. D.L. Moody um, said, the best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or spend the time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. And that is my intent uh, through this series of sermons is from God's word to lay a straight stick of sound doctrine that'll wash us and keep us close to Christ. Let's pray. Um, God, thank you for another opportunity to uh, worship you today. And, uh, um, Lord, I, I hope you've spoken, Lord. Otherwise, why are we here? Um, I know you have through the music. you touched me through several songs. And through different aspects of gathering. And, and Father, we trust your spirit that's been speaking to your word. God, may we respond this morning to you, Lord. Um, we need truth in our lives. There are many who are peddling what is not true, and lives are suffering as a result. So I'm just asking you, God, may your truth speak, and may we respond as you speak to us. Speak, O oh Lord, uh, your servants are listening. In Christ's name we pray.